재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Inviting an array of cultural luminaries to share and discuss books that have inspired and moved them Talk it up Welcome to Talk It Up. During this segment, as the nice lady said earlier, we invite an array of cultural luminaries to share and discuss books that have inspired and moved them. Today, we'll be discussing On Writing by Charles Bukowski. On Writing is one of the three books by Bukowski recently published here in Korea, with the other two being On Cats and On Love. Joining us today to talk about writing are writers, Sang Park and Ku Chawon. Sang Park is a Korean-American writer living in Seoul. His novel, Wait Until Twilight, has been translated into Korean under the title, Hi, Sang. Hey, great to be back. What's new? Uh, I, I, I guess the newest thing in my life is uh, I bought a scooter and uh, got my driver's license, my Korean driver's license, which is a huge pain. You got a scooter? Yeah. Well, I live in Itaewon, so it's, it's nice oh, okay. to like, scoot yeah, around that in that sense. area because yeah, the parking is yeah, terrible. It's a very there, scootable. So. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Taiwan is also a writer. She used to live above a sake bar in the East Village in New York City, which was sort of her second home. Not saying she lived like Charles Bukowski, but she feels him. Hi, Taiwan. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so just just so you know, um, those of you listening at home, Taiwan doesn't always sound like that. Of course, I wouldn't know because I'm meeting her for the first time today. But what do you usually sound like, Taiwan? Um, way sultrier. Okay. <laughs> sultrier. Yeah, more sultrier. Yeah. Yeah. Way sultrier. My voice is usually smokier than this. Okay. Sarcasm. Sarcasm. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, she has a cold, so don't don't hold it against her if yes, she please. sounds yeah smoky like Tom Waits. <laughs> so since this is your first time on our show, let's get to know you a little. Who's your favorite writer? Don't say Sang Park, even though he's great. <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> Uh, well, though my second choice mm-hmm. is, I would say, the most influential book in my life uh, was written by John Lydon, who used to be the lead singer of the Sex Pistols. Oh. And it's called No Irish, No Blacks, No Dogs, and it's kind of an autobiography slash mm-hmm. post-punk manifesto. Okay. It's very influential for a 16-year-old who's just, like, very rebellious but doesn't really have the instructions uh-huh. to be rebellious, and who better to tell her than a dirty punk from the... 70s from London. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I feel like I know you already. Awesome. Yeah, that was a great intro. Thank you. <laughs> Kindred spirit. So our book for today is On Writing by Charles Bukowski. And I actually looked at the cover of this book. And it says, and it's quoting the Times, The Laureate of American Low Life. Is this an apt depiction of Bukowski? What do you think? Absolutely. I think that book... The great thing that he did, if you read any of his stories, and especially if you read on writing, he mixes sort of lowbrow references Mm -hmm. of janitors, of um, hotel maids, all that stuff. And then he also mentions Shostakovich. Mm -hmm. He mentions the ultimate of highbrow. Okay. So the sentence is laureate, which is very highbrow, and American lowlife. Uh-huh. Absolutely, he is that. Okay, so he is a combination of those things. He is an intriguing one. Okay. What do you think, Sang? Uh, I, I think that actually encompasses a very small portion of who he is, and I mm. think it's almost insulting to, to use the term lowlife because uh-huh. he's, you know, he's talking about loners, outsiders, dis- the disenfranchised, mm-hmm. and also just like poor people. 
Okay. And to refer to them as low life, I think, mm-hmm. is like very uh, reductive. Right, insulting. Insulting, and it's coming from the, the kind of literary community he actually hated. Okay, and he, he talked. I mean, throughout this entire book, he's constantly putting them down. The okay. literati. <laughs> and these are exactly the people he's talking about. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I think it's very reductive and insulting to him. You don't actually. think that phrase was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, though? Like, hmm. Sure, s- but still, though, I mean, they're putting that out there. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Tell us a little bit about Charles Bukowski's life. Born in 1920, post-Depression era kid. Um, he... Lived a bit of a tough life. His his father was very austere. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like beat with a razor strop from like the age of seven up to like mid teens, like like two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. Then and also he he suffered through a very severe case of acne vulgaris, which is, is like that? this. Uh, like your face is pizza face extraordinaire. Face back of the neck and the back. So it's like he he had to go to the doctor and like get pus removed from these. Boils. Oh my goodness! So if you okay. see him, you see like he's very pockmarked around okay. the face. Yeah. Okay. So that. But of course, you can't see him anymore. <laughs> uh, not in the flesh. No, not in the flesh. <laughs> that would be horrifying. That would be horrifying. <laughs> okay. So then he spent like his early twenties traveling the states, uh, like working menial jobs and like writing short stories and writing all these short stories and getting rejected by everyone basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was. What was wrong with his stories, or what was right about his stories? Uh, that's debatable. Like, one could argue it was a subject matter, like writing about "quote unquote" low lives. Okay. Um, but also, he like a lot of people felt like he, and even he probably felt like his writing wasn't probably perhaps good enough. It was good, but not good enough. Okay. So, but he kept on. He kept on. He kept on. Even like when he was like poverty, poverty stricken, and living in these little little shack jobs, and like, but eventually he came back to California and uh, got a job at the post office. Which he eventually worked at for, worked there for a very long time while he was writing poetry, mm-hmm. and then I think I think it was like early fifties. This publisher who really loved his poetry basically told him, you know, I'll pay you a hundred dollars a month for the rest of my life if you quit your job at the post office and just write full time. And he and he started doing that. Okay, so hundred dollars back then you could he could live off. Oh, okay, of, right back then. Right. <laughs> okay, I heard it was a gentleman's contract, so it wasn't like they signed anything. Mm-hmm. It was more like a handshake. Right, right, right. right. and um, trust my words. Trust my words, but I mean, I think he kept it because he kept it. Oh. Yeah, he kept he it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. And of course, that that one hundred dollars went up as Bukowski became kind of famous and started making money mm-hmm. from his writing. Yeah. So was poetry his main genre? It seems as though it was sort of. His great love, mm-hmm. although I, I feel almost as if his short stories are what made him more famous. Okay, but it seems as though, from what I've read, that he spent most of his twenties in an alcoholic blackout. Okay. That could have explained a lot of the reasons why he had such a late start. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, he spent, I think, after the the black years, trying to write a lot of poetry. And then I think his first sort of like mainstream successes came with like writing a column called Notes of a Diary of an Old Man or, or a Dirty Old Man. Mm-hmm. And also when he wrote his book, mm-hmm. um, Post Office, based right, upon right. his life right. in the so, post office. So he wrote a bunch of worked. everything. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So he, he was a poet. He wrote novels, short stories. Okay. So uh, he letters. covered all the genres. He did. He did. Okay. Absolutely. Let's take a closer look at the book on writing. When I actually first saw this title, I thought of Stephen King. Was it just me, or did you no, guys I also th- of think of Stephen King? Stephen King wrote a book on the same title, 
right? And it was very instructive. Have you guys checked it out? Yeah, we covered it on the show. Yes, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember reading it a, long it a couple years ago. ago. <laughs> yeah. I just remember there was one part where he talked about his mom used to dance on Jell-O, and that's the only thing that I remember. Wait, is this Bukowski or Stephen King? Oh, Stephen King. Stephen King. <laughs> okay. Um, but I remember the book being pretty practical. Like, I think mm-hmm. he had some sort of formula. Like, he wrote... Basically, okay. 10 pages every day, and that was like okay, the so, sort of. Formula. So, you would describe this book, Stephen King's on writing, as instructive. Now, what about Bukowski's on writing? Mm, I would say it's uh, not exactly instructive. Uh-huh. I think it's more like uh, him just being him, but also kind of talking about what it means to be an artist. I mm-hmm. think that Stephen King's on writing is much more geared towards somebody who wants to be a working writer. Mm-hmm. Bukowski is much more interested in what it means to be like a human being, a poet, an artist, a creator mm-hmm. of something from what he describes as like a piece of marble mm-hmm. and creating something out of that. Okay. What do you think, Sang? Okay, so uh, first, of all, f- first off, let me say that I think the book... Is a, is a is a cash is cash grab book. It's like it's the publishers. It's, it's probably his ex wife. It's his estate trying to make money off of this. Okay, pretty much because it's useless. It's okay. a lot of his material. It's from, useless. You yeah, would describe it as really useless. It's, it's material from other <laughs> books uh-huh. mainly. Okay. So yeah, I, I and it's, it's mainly him ranting and raving. And if if you want like good letters, there are other collections. There are like five or six collections of letters you can find that are actually superior and mm-hmm. much more interesting than this. Mm-hmm. So I, this is more a collection. Of... It's, just, it's a collection of just a lot of ranting and raving. Okay. Some of which, of course, as you read through, you you find some of the Bukowski brilliance, of mm-hmm. course, but. Consistently, is I mean, I, I I got tired of it halfway through. Okay, thirty one percent of the way through. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it was like a struggle, and usually Bukowski, if anything, is very entertaining. And it's like uh-huh. this is not even entertaining. Okay. So right. yeah. So does he actually talk about writing in this book, or or is is that just a <clears throat> random title that they slapped on the book after putting this random. together? It, it does seem kind of random. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well. Before we continue our discussion, let's listen to a clip of Bukowski actually talking about how to write. When you write, your words must go like this. Bim, bim, bim. Bim, bim, bim. Bim, bim, bim. Bim, bim, bim. Each line must be full of a delicious little juice, flavor. They must be full of power. They must make you like to turn a page. Bim, bim, bim. What these guys do, they say, well, in uh, blah, 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 da-da-da, there was a porch chair. The flies were walking around. You see, they're too leisurely. They're setting up the scene for the grand emotion. And when they get to the grand emotion, there isn't any. This is a different age. It's the atomic age. Each line must have its own power, its own feeling, its own juice, its own flavor. Writing must never be boring. It must not bore the reader, the writer. It must not bore anybody. You have to have juice in each line, don't you see? You don't believe me, but I'm trying to tell you. So that's an interesting way of of describing using not actual vocabulary how to write bim, bim, bim. As opposed to blah blah. It's not really instructive. It's no, like it's not. It's like write good stuff. <laughs> write it good. Make it powerful. It's, it's like, not really instructive. It's like there's got to be juice. Don't be boring. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but it's like, how do you uh-huh. teach that to someone, though? Right. You know. But what did you get out of this clip, though? 
Uh, it's very similar to there, there's actually a very famous uh, Bukowski documentary called Born Into This, and it shows him kind of. There's a little clip where he talks about writing, and he tells a person who's interview, interviewing him in his living room. He says, "This is how you write." He gets up, he goes to his typewriter, starts banging on his typewriter, and that's it. And that kind of encapsul- encapsulates what he's what he's saying here. Like you have to get up and do it, and you have to make it powerful and like juice, as he keeps saying it. Okay. Juice, or what he means, like soul and emotion in the writing, basically. Is he actually typing words on the typewriter, or is he just hitting the typewriter? He was just hitting it to show what you do. Okay. He's probably drunk as well. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably a lot to do. (laughs) What about you, Taiwan? What did you take away from the clip? I could definitely tell that he kind of has the soul of a poet because when he's using not words but almost like the cadence, mm-hmm. you know, he's trying to t- say something that's beyond just the word. It's the rhythm. It's the not just the vocabulary word, but also the sound, the mm-hmm. power that comes just from the rhythm and the sort of syllables, the ups and downs of the language. Right. And throughout the book on writing, he's always talking about the person as an artist. It's very to him. He first rails against a lot of writers as being overly conscious of themselves as being writers. Uh-huh, oh, right. writers! They just love to read one more poem. What are they actors? <laughs> and yet, at the same time, he's constantly talking about you have to be the real thing. You have to be authentic. You have to be a creator. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, he's railing against them on one hand, but he's like saying you got to be it. So mm-hmm. when he talks about things like bam, 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 boom, 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 it's almost like it's coming from you like a heartbeat. You have right, to right. be it. Uh huh. So instead of trying to write, you should just write. From the gut, straight from the hip, okay. sort of <laughs> drunk fingertip. <laughs> right, right. So let's look at some of your favorite excerpts from this book. I know, Sang, you said that you didn't like this book very much, but there's got to be an excerpt that you liked, right? Can you uh, share one with us? Yes, I found one little excerpt actually very, very practical and very useful. Mm-hmm. And uh, here it is. And even when I write badly and it comes back, I look at it and I don't mind too much. I've got a chance to improve. There is a matter of staying with it, tapping away. It seems to keep mending together the mistakes and the good luck until it sounds and reads and feels better. Not that it's important or not important. Just tap, tap, tap. Of course, in the typing, it's good if something comes along that is interesting to say and such things don't arrive every day. Tap, tap, tap. There's tap, that tap, rhythm tap, again. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, he's basically saying just, just keep writing, whether it's good or bad. Just keep writing and don't overly censor or judge yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you keep doing that and keep editing, it'll, like, something good eventually will come out, which mm-hmm. is actually very practical because most writers, they either just give up or they, they like, overjudge their writing so they have to keep going back instead of just keep, on, just keep moving on, just like he suggests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I say li- the first draft is the bad draft there's a naughtier word to describe you know uh-huh. starting with this but they always say the first draft is supposed to be just get it done mm-hmm. right and then you go over it after you get it all done right that's right. sort of what he's saying just do it right mm-hmm. i like that that part where he says uh there's the matter of staying with it um and then you just need to stay with it until it, it sounds and reads and feels better right and, and i think that's that's the the part that um it's probably most challenging for, for a lot of people who, who are involved in writing, whether you're a writer or a translator, especially, like, I'm a translator. And, like, for me, the most, the most difficult part is the revision. Mm-hmm. The revision after revision after revision, where you have to go back and look at the thing that you have created over and over again and find all the mistakes and fix them. And initially, you don't even know that you made a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And there they are. 
So, so initially, it's, it's not as bad. Like, it's the revision, revisions that get you. Like, the, the first draft is like, usually for, for me, that's, that's the toughest part. Well, you're a writer. I'm a translator. Okay, okay, good. For, for me, the material is already there. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Right. So what about you, Taiwan? What's your excerpt that you want to share with us? I really like what he wrote to his friend John in 1961, and he wrote, Let's allow ourselves space and error, hysteria and grief. The priest is shot in the John. Hornets blow heroin without a rest. Your wife runs off with an idiot who's never read Kafka. Really, we must let the candle burn. Pour gasoline on it if necessary. To concentrate on form and logic, the turning of the phrase seems imbecility in the midst of the madness. And similar to Sang's quote, he seems to be saying, you know, when you are trying to write, don't worry so much about the spelling, the form, when he says turning of the phrase, instead of making it too perfect, Mm -hmm. just write straight from... I guess, the space in your life where the chaos happens, which most people seem to be afraid of going into, Mm -hmm. saying all the things that maybe are taboo, that people consider, quote-unquote, low life, things that are judged, write that. He says, pour gasoline on it if necessary. Pour gasoline on candles. (laughs) Make it burn. But I also feel like he doesn't fall as far as Bukowski does in in terms of the self-destruction and the imagery of self-destruction, like pouring, pouring gasoline on candle. I think in a way his life was kind of like that. I think he really wanted to live it. Mm-hmm. He really wanted to he couldn't be any other way. I remember reading another book by um Quentin Crisp called The Naked Civil Servant and he said that and this is an autobiography about him being sort of like an openly, I guess, feminine appearing man in pre World War One London and every day he just went out dressed like that, knowing he's gonna get beat up and he was like, I could be no other way. Okay. I knew I would walk down the street, I would get beat up, I may even die, but I couldn't help it. And I think Bukowski, he's just like, I'm a deadbeat, mm-hmm. alcoholic deadbeat, um, <laughs> I can't help it. Uh-huh. I think like his creativity is just very explosive. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and there's just so much energy to it. Right. So I, I think like, um, he just followed that. He, mm-hmm. had, he, had to fo- he had to follow that, whatever that was, he had to follow it. He had no choice. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think um, one of the things that that's characteristic of a writer's writer is that um, they have very strong, distinctive characters and strong, distinctive voices. And this often leads to a very sharp polarization of readers and critics' responses. Like, either you love the guy or you hate the guy. And I know that both of you... Um, you got through 31% of the book and you, you made it like halfway through the book before you gave up. But as a writer, what's your opinion of him? Uh, I, I really love the guy. Like I, I find his writing refreshing. When I first discovered him in college, I was like, wow, I had, you know, I had, I had not read anything like this, like this mm-hmm. perspective. And um, the writing is just so honest, straightforward jagged but like really true mm-hmm. and uh i you know i really enjoy and also it's like he really explore explores the kind of like dark aspects of the world existence right, right. you know and uh i really liked all of that mm-hmm. and uh I, I i could relate to him as well because of course i went through that period where i felt like an outsider or what an outsider or a loner or whatnot and it's like man this i can really relate to this guy mm-hmm. yeah. what about you Taiwan? you you discovered him two years ago right yeah i think that um 
basically for about 10 years or so, there seems to be this resurging like cult of manhood that's coming up mm-hmm. where a lot of young men, maybe it's from the fight club, mm-hmm. but a lot of men are just like, wait a second, what does it really mean to be a man? Mm-hmm. So like so, this like re- reinvention of masculinity? I think so. Okay. I think so. Even the, the fashion of like the lumber, lumberjack, you know, like uh-huh. the wear, the beards and the, you know, tattoos, you're still metrosexual, but uh-huh. you know, you're, you're still like a man, you're going to uh-huh. chop wood even though it's in the backyard of Brooklyn, you know? <laughs> so so it, it seems as though Bukowski is just the perfect sort of um, the message bearer for that generation. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, and also, I think he came during a great time. I mean, he kind of came into the heyday of like the, the 1960s and counterculture revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was an older man then, of course. Right, right. So he's bringing sort of like that gruff, like World War II sort of era of masculinity into a mm-hmm. more like flower child sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's that juxtaposition again of like mm-hmm. the tender plus the rough. Right, and That's what right. makes him so intriguing. Mm-hmm. Low life, laureate tender, rough, mm-hmm. you know, the poet, and yet the drunken deadbeat. Mm-hmm. And that's how the uh, lumber sexuals latched onto him. Yeah, I think okay. so. <laughs> I think so. Him and, you uh-huh. know, Polonick and right. um, Dr. Thompson, all of them just becoming like, you know, this is what a man is supposed to do. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of women, too, relate mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. There's something about that vulnerability right. um, that these men show that's not traditional masculinity because mm-hmm. there is such like a, an explosive vulnerability and emotionality to them mm-hmm. that also women who maybe don't feel as though they are the typical mm-hmm. feminine expression of, of femaleness can also relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, Sang, you mentioned earlier when you were talking about what you liked about Bukowski that he had a dark side to him. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Do you mean like dark as in pessimistic? Uh, no, dark as in the subject matter. Like he would write about rape, uh, getting drunk, um, mm-hmm. it, very bizarre uh, sexual escapades, mm-hmm. um, violence. Right. He was not afraid to write about that. And, you know, just like being poor and like living you know living in kind of dangerous poor areas he he wasn't afraid to write about that at Mm -hmm. all Mm -hmm. but there was also quite a bit of pessimism in his writing he kind of disliked a lot of people he he didn't like people in general okay Um, so it's not really pessimism it's more like misanthropy misanthropy. Yeah. yeah pretty much wasn't he also misogynistic he claims that he wasn't because he was always meaner to dudes okay <laughs> that's his excuse yes i was mean to women but i was way meaner to guys okay so he was just mean he was just mean yeah well we're almost out of time but Taiwan, do you have anything to add about bukowski's pessimism and misanthropy in general before we go mm. well i did see an interesting video today um somebody i forget his name was saying that he saw bukowski as the anti-disnification of culture Mm-hmm. So all that, you know, happy ending princessy stuff, Bukowski was like against it. Uh-huh. And it's true. Bukowski, he hated Mickey Mouse, mm-hmm. said it's a mouse with three fingers. What is up with that? And he was like, You're right, there <laughs> only three fingers. And this uh-huh. mouse has nothing interesting to say, nothing really uh-huh. deep to teach. And right. it's just there. Just, just completely to, empty, fake. Empty, right. fake, and really creepy, too. Very so, mm-hmm. creepy. <laughs> yeah, and I think that kind of is the encapsulation of what Bukowski stands for. He's the type of guy who takes what everybody would consider so innocuous, such mm-hmm. a regular part of life, and say, I don't know about this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, let's think deeper than that. Let's not just assume Maybe it's not pessimism so much as he was keeping it real right, to the point right. where maybe people are just like, whoa, back up. Mm-hmm. A little bit too real, maybe. Mm-hmm. Too much of a close-up. 
I think so. Yeah, yeah. Too much of a mirror. Uh-huh. And that's why I think a lot of people actually disliked him, like literary types. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, when he talks about them in that manner, he's kind of exposing them. Right. I think maybe that's why people either loved him or hated him because, you know, when somebody holds a mirror to reality, you either love it or you hate it, right? Most people hate truth. the truth. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> On that lovely note, we have come to the end <laughs> of this week's Talk It Up. Thank you so much, you guys, for coming in, and I hope to see you again soon. Yeah, Thank thanks. You. Here's Don't Cry Baby by Madeleine Peru. Honey, please don't cry. 